uh, certainly a joy to have you in the service. And Brother Tim, uh, good to see you here. And Miss Victoria, we've been praying for y'all. And uh, it's good to see y'all home again. Amen. <laughs> Back in the saddle. So certainly a joy to have you here. Let's take our Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of John. We're going to begin, uh, let's turn to John chapter 1 and then hold your place there. And turn over just a couple pages to John chapter 3. John chapter 1 and then John chapter 3. And in praying about what to preach on this morning, I knew we were doing family day today. And I got to thinking about God's family. And uh, boy, what a a thought. Uh, I don't want to give the whole sermon away, but boy, I'm going to tell you, this week I have rejoiced in some things and I have been humbled by some things that the scripture deals with with regards to God's relationship uh, with his own family we're going to look at some of that this morning Uh, John chapter number three if you will and that we're going to read a very familiar passage in John chapter three and verse number uh, let's start in verse number um Start in verse number 14, if you will. We'll read down through verse number 18. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believeth in him should not per- that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Father, we pray that you'll bless again this message, and Lord, speak to our hearts, encourage us in our faith. For those that are saved this morning, I pray that it will draw us nearer to you, help us to realize some things that uh, we can cling to and our faith can be strengthened by. And, Lord, during those trying times, the times of life that seem to run us through the valleys and seem to be the times where we battle depression and problems and issues that come our way, that we can cling to these promises that your word gives us. Father, we are so grateful and thankful for the position that you give to us. Lord, not because we have earned it or because we have deserved it. God, you gave it to us because of your grace. And I pray that you would allow us the opportunity this morning to be reminded of it and to rejoice in it, perhaps even to be humbled by it. I pray that you would direct and guide in everything we say and do here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we deal with the subject of the family of God. There's certainly a great principle that we cannot overlook, and that is the fact that God was willing to give what the Bible refers to here as His only begotten Son. And he goes on to say in verse number 17 that God didn't send Jesus Christ to this earth to condemn the world. And I fear so often, in historically, we have preached a condemning God to a lost and a dying world. And instead of just letting them know that He came here to love and to redeem them from the condemnation that they were already in, the Bible is very clear about that as we get to verse number 17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be, what? Saved. 
He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I got to thinking on this this week as I was thinking about Family Sunday this Sunday, and the idea that God's giving up of His own Son was for the purpose of gaining us as His family. And boy, what a thought that is. Look with me, if you will, in John chapter number 1. We begin reading in verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word. Who is this speaking of here? Who is it? Jesus Christ, capital W. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him were not any, was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. Notice verse number 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Have you ever thought of this thought? That God gave his only son, his only begotten son, so that you and I might become his sons and his daughters. That's, that's a humbling thought, isn't it? That the God of the universe would do such a thing for you and I. And he, he, doesn't, he doesn't demand that we earn this position. He, he doesn't come to us and say that we have to be worthy before he'll welcome us into his family. He doesn't come and say that there has to be uh, certain kinds of works and actions in order to become part of his family. He gives it to us freely and willingly because of his grace. And the only thing that he asks of us is that we put our faith and our trust in him. What an amazing, amazing thought. So much so that John says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Have you ever thought about what that means to you and I to be the sons and daughters of God? Have you ever thought of that? There's a great responsibility that comes with being the children of our parents, isn't there? You remember when you were growing up and mom and dad used to discipline you for different things and maybe sometimes you'd get an opportunity to go out and, and do something uh, around town, maybe with some of your friends or someplace where your mom and dad were not going to be. And they might have said something like this, Remember whose kid you are. Remember whose kid you are. I remember my mom and dad saying things like that when I would go out. And what they were saying by that is, you're our child. You have a responsibility to behave in such a way that it reflects your family. Not in such a way that it would demean your family or harm your family. And when we think of this idea that we are the sons and daughters of God, can I tell you this? We have a great responsibility. 
We represent Him. In fact, the Bible says that we are ambassadors of Christ. We're the only Bible that some people are ever going to see. Our life is the only light that some people in this world are ever going to know about. And we have a great responsibility to do the work of God because we are His child. Now, I will say this. That ought not to be our only motivation. The greatest motivation for the responsibility that we have as His children is love for Him. That should be the only and the greatest motivation that causes us to say, I want to be pleasing to God. I've read through the uh, Old Testament... It's amazing to me how many times the phrase or the title comes up about being a reproach. I remember when David came and talked about the Philistine, Goliath, who was blaspheming against God and ridiculing the nation of Israel. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should be talking this way? You know, David stood up and said, listen, we don't want this to be a reproach. I'm reminded of Nehemiah when he went to build the walls. And he said, folks, this is a reproach to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the name of our God, that our city lies in ruins. And I wonder often in my own life, and one of the great battles that it seems like I battle on a daily basis is trying and striving to live a life that will not bring reproach to Christ, but will represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because I have a great responsibility. I belong to Him. I name the name of Christ. In fact, I, I, I firmly believe this. If you ever take the time to read in Revelation chapter 3 to the letter of the church of Laodicea, that's the seventh church letter in chapter number 3, he talks about the fact that they are lukewarm. And he said, I would thou wert hot or cold. And I'm going to tell you, growing up, I read that passage, and I scratched my head, and I used to think, I don't understand that. God is saying that He would rather us be just cold than to be lukewarm? Have you ever thought of that? And for a long time I thought on that, and I I think I understand what He was getting at. Somebody that's hot for the Lord Jesus Christ, somebody that's on fire for Him, somebody that loves Him with all their heart, and recognizes the relationship that they have as being their child, the child of God, this person is one that will claim to be a Christian and then will strive to live a life that backs that claim up. Does that mean we're going to be perfect? No. But it means there's a heart for it. That there's a striving towards it. Paul's called it, I press toward the mark for the prize. The high calling of God. He said, I've not attained. But he said, I'm pressing. I'm forgetting those things that are behind. And then I thought of the cold man. And I thought, well, the cold man would be somebody who might have at some point made a profession of faith and put their trust in the Lord. But they've gotten very, very cold to the things of the Lord. And so while their life certainly does not reflect one that would bring uh, uh, glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, but rather reproach, He doesn't even, though, claim to be a Christian. He doesn't go around talking about it all the time. And thus doesn't bring a reproach to the Lord Jesus Christ. But that lukewarm person, that lukewarm person that claims to be a Christian one day, but lives just like the world the rest of the time, 
That's the one that, that I think God's speaking of there. We, we looked last week, I believe it was, about the three types of people, the spiritual and the natural and the carnal. And the natural man being the man who's not saved, he's under the law of sin and death and lives his life that way. He's enslaved. The man who's the spiritual man, the man who's trusted Christ as his Savior, and while he's not perfect, has a heart for the Lord and strives to do what's right and tries to walk after the Spirit and not after the law of sin and death. The Bible says we are therefore more than conquerors to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Then we talked about the carnal man, the man who claims to be a Christian, claims to walk after the Spirit but yet in actuality is still under the law of sin and death. He's come into bondage again of the sinful nature of man. And by the way, that's the battle we all face, isn't it? The battle that we all face. So God gives us the opportunity, and I'm thankful for that. If you're here this morning, you say, Brother Greg, I don't know that I'm a child of God. I don't know that I, I can know that. Can I tell you this? God's made it very simple. In Ephesians chapter number 2, verses 8 and 9, He makes sure that we understand that it's not by our works. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If there was anything that you and I had to do in order to be saved, then the word grace could not be used. Because grace is God's unmerited, undeserved mercy. Grace could not be used in the area of salvation if we add anything to it other than faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible speaks of this, that we become born again. We trust Christ as our Savior. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were made alive. We now are buried with him in baptism and rising to walk in newness of life. And the picture that baptism is of being crucified to the old man and rising to walk after the Spirit gives us now a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ that is one of a family relationship. Now hold your place here for a moment, if you will, and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, chapter number 5. And I love this about the book of Ephesians. As Paul's writing here, he deals with earthly relationships. In fact, in chapter number 6, he talks about children being obedient. I was talking to my kids about that this week. And the idea that we're to obey our parents in the Lord for this is what? For it's right. We've talked about this in our church before. And then he goes on to say in verse number 2 that we're to honor our father and mother. And honoring is different than obedience. And by the way, the, the reasoning behind him is different. Uh, we obey simply because it's right. I fear so often that when we are raising our children and rearing our children, we teach them that obedience has reward and we tend to not teach them that they're to obey because it's right. And that the honoring is where the reward comes in. And he says in chapter number 5, in verse number four, uh, verse number 1, excuse me, Be ye therefore followers of God as what? As dear children. We become His children. What is our relationship to Him then? If we are to be His children, Paul begins to deal with the relationships 
that are earthly relationships that God has given, but they picture the relationship that we also have with God. The, the relationship of a child to a parent and a parent to a child. What is the responsibility of a child to his parent? What is it? I'm sorry, what was it? To be obedient and to... What's verse number two talk about? Honor. Our responsibility, because we are His children, are to be obedient to Him and to honor Him. We understand the difference here. I, I've shared the illustration before, but when I was a kid, Mom and Dad used to make me empty the trash. And I was busy. I was playing all the time. I was very active and athletic, kind of like I am now. <laughs> and uh, I remember having to drag that trash can out. And there were times I'd say, okay, Mom, I'll get to it as soon as I get done doing what to me was important. You know, And that's really what I was saying. And that didn't go over real well with my mom and dad. I don't know why, but for some reason they didn't like that answer. And so I learned very quickly to obey my parents. But I'll be real honest with you. There were many times I took that trash out that I did not honor my mom and dad. I obeyed simply because I knew it was right, and I knew that if I didn't do it, I was going to get in trouble for it. But when I got to a place where I began to have a love and a heart for my mom and dad that was no longer selfish and all about me, I would sometimes walk in the house then and say, Mom, do you need me to empty the trash? And I would take it, not out of a, a motive of obedience or I have to, but because I got to. It was my privilege because I loved my mom and dad. And that was honoring them. And so often I fear that in the Christian life we, we, we become something. We make our life to mold after the Bible simply because we have to. And I think we miss the motivation of it. When we come to God's Word and realize that He gave up His Son so I could become His Son. I could become part of His family. It now becomes a motivation of love. A lot easier to honor him. What's the parent's responsibility to a child in this case? What are we supposed to do as children? What are parents supposed to do for their children according to Scripture? What is it? Train them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We are also to care for them, aren't we? To provide for their needs. In fact, the Bible even talks about that. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? So He, he trains us, doesn't He? How does He train us? He gives us His Word that teaches us some things, and then He brings circumstances into our life that will help to polish us and become more like Him, doesn't He? Uh, the Bible says that patience will have its tribulation work of patience, and patience will have its perfect work in us. There are times that God brings things into our lives for no other reason than to help us become more as, of what we should be for Him. He gives us Scripture to know how we ought to respond and how we ought to act. And so we find the relationship that's given in Scripture of, of God being our, our Father and us being His children. But I want you to notice also, He gives another relationship here. And God is all of these to us, by the way. Notice what is said here in chapter number 5 of Ephesians. 
verse number 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, what? The church. Not only is there a picture of a relationship of God being our Father and us being His children, but there's also a picture and a, uh, that's given here in Scripture uh, of Him being the husband and us the wife, us the bride. The Bible talks about Him being the bridegroom and how that they cannot uh, sorrow when the bridegroom is with them. But when the bridegroom is taken away, then there's sorrow. The Bible talks about the bride of Christ and the fact that Christ has given Himself for the church selflessly. What was His responsibility to the church in this relationship? To love Him and to give Himself for them. He's to be the head. He's to be the preeminent one. The role of the church in that relationship is to give Him the preeminence. And then I want you to notice the other relationship that God, that, uh, that Christ has with us. We find that in Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse number 5. Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse number 5. Paul says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God because we have to. Is that what your King James Bible says? What does it say? From the heart. With good will doing service as to the... What? As to the Lord and not to men. Now notice this and look right up here for a moment. We have three relationships that are mentioned in the book of Ephesians. All of them because we are His children. We have the relationship of a, of a father to the child. And the child to the father. We have a relationship of a husband to the wife or the wife to the husband. And we have a relationship of a master to the servant and the servant to the master. Can I tell you this? That God had given all three of these things in earthly form that we can understand the relationships that God has in our, in our spiritual lives. All because we become part of His family. So here's the question. If we are His children, if we've trusted Christ as His Savior, are we fulfilling the responsibility of the relationship of the husband and the wife, Him being the bridegroom, the church being the bride? Are we following that? Are we keeping ourselves holy and pure so that He can present the church to Himself blameless and spotless without blemish? Has He held up His end of the bargain? Has He loved us and given Himself for us? Oh, absolutely, He's held up His side of it. What about, the, what about the relationship that He pictured in the father to the child? Has He held up His end of it? Has He been a father to us? 
Oh, no doubt. The question is, have we been children to him? And then what about this servant master? Has he been a good master? Has he followed the biblical teaching of what the master ought to do for his servant? Oh, absolutely. The question then becomes, have we held up our end of it? Do we honor and reverence him as a wife would her husband? Are we submitted and yielded to him like a wife should be to her husband? Are we obedient and honoring to him as a child should be to their parent? Following the things that he's taught us? Allowing him to raise us in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? To train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old we would not depart from it? Have we done that? What about this serving of the Master? Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Have we been a proper servant? In our role, in our relationship as His child, are we, are we filling the proper relationship roles that we should be according to Scripture? I find that many times the battle that I face and the battle that many times people face that come and say, Pastor, I've got a problem, is an issue of not able to fulfill the role that we have in these relationships. Invariably, it's because we begin to drift in our walk with God. The time that we spend in relationship with Him, the time that we spend in prayer, the time that we spend in reading the Bible, the time that we spend in uh, meditating on Him and talking with Him. And that tends to be the major thing. So the question this morning is this, and it being family day here at Keith Heights Baptist Church, number one, are you part of His family? Has there been a time and a place that you've trusted Christ as your Savior, that you have been brought into God's family by His grace and His mercy, by placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a child of God? The second question I have is if you are a child of God today, are we fulfilling the role a child has to a father? Are we fulfilling the role that a bride has to her husband? And are we fulfilling a role that a servant has to the master? I hope and pray that it becomes the desire of our hearts not to bring a reproach to God, but that we will represent Him in all of these areas. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. I pray that You'll bless it and use it. Lord, we strive and our hearts long for these things, but yet so often we flounder and we fail. So often there is fault with us. I pray that You would help to use the message this morning to show us these areas that we are to be dealing with and that we're to be uh, diligent in and to labor, be laboring for. I pray that you would help us to have a love for you that's renewed, a passion, a desire for you. And Father, that there would be a holiness about the way that we approach our life, a desire to live in a way that would bring honor and glory to you, that would point men to you, 
And Lord, if there's someone here this morning that has never had a time in their life where they have trusted you as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day they would get that matter settled. Bless it and use it, I pray, in the way that you would see fit. May your Holy Spirit lead and direct and guide as He chooses. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. If God's spoken to your heart today, perhaps you'd come. Maybe you'd say, Brother Greg, I don't know if I died right now that I'd go to heaven. I've never had a time where I've trusted Him as my Savior. If you would give us the opportunity and the privilege for you to come forward and let us take the Bible and show you how you can be saved today, we would be glad to do so. I think looking around the room, most folks here have claimed and given profession of the the fact that they've trusted Christ as their Savior. My question then is this, as a child of God, are we representing Him? In these areas of our relationship and our walk with Him, are we fulfilling our side of it? Are we following after the biblical principles of how we're to approach these areas when it comes to our Savior? And if not, could we get that right today? Could we say, Lord, I want to, I long to live for you. I want to walk after the Spirit. I want to be yielded to that leading of the Holy Spirit in my life. Piano and organ are going to just play through a hymn or two of invitation. If God's spoken to your heart, would you come this morning?